My name is Justin, and I'm an addict, and thanks to my God, the steps, and the fellowship of other addicts, I am sober, one day at a time, since June 19th, 2015, and for that, I am beyond grateful. Merry Christmas to you all. Today's podcast and meeting will be a bit different, since today is Christmas Day. And, to be honest, I'm spending it with my family. This was pre-recorded and scheduled to be released today on Christmas Day. I know that addiction does not rest on holidays. In fact, for many, holidays are the hardest days in addiction. That being the case, I felt it vital to see to still release something for you and get a little bit of that daily bread that helps us make it through today, one day at a time. So let's get to it. Welcome to the RICO 12 speaker meeting. We are an organization whose addictions include alcohol, drugs, lust, and sex, food, and gambling, just to name a few. We come together from all places, faiths, and backgrounds to learn the similarities of addiction and to gain tools and hope from others who are walking a similar path. We invite recovering addicts with at least one-year sobriety who are actively working their recovery in their respective fellowships to share their experience, strength, and hope on a live Zoom meeting typically each Friday at noon central time for 20 to 25 minutes. Then we, the live audience, would typically get the opportunity to ask questions of the speaker for another 20 to 25 minutes. If you would like to be a guest speaker in a future meeting or attend live in a future meeting, please go to www.rico12.com, that's R-O-C-O, one com to learn more and submit your email address there to receive weekly invitations or to submit to become a guest speaker. RICO 12 is an ad-free service and we appreciate your help in keeping it that way. We gratefully accept contributions to help cover the costs of the Zoom platform, podcast platform, web hosting, and administrative costs. To contribute, you can go to rico12.com forward slash support or you can click the link to PayPal uh, in the show notes of this meeting. When you contribute, please specify the meeting number. This is meeting number 28. Last week's speaker was Antonella, and her talk about working in the solution in steps 10 through 12 was really, really good. If you haven't yet heard it, please go check it out, along with any or all of the previous 27 speaker meetings, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, if you found value in this service, please take a moment to go to the podcast platform of your choosing and leave a rating and review and share it with your fellowships that you participate in, with your friends and family who may gain something from this. It really helps us work our 12th step by carrying the message of recovery to more addicts who suffer. Now, today I'm going to read an essay that I wrote after an experience I had with my fifth birthday in sobriety. So I'm going to get to this essay right now. I've entitled it, I Am Already Dead. While in a recovery meeting, I was given the opportunity to share with the group that I had been blessed with five years of sobriety from addictive behaviors. Someone asked, how did you do it? Sadly, I gave a stereotypical response. I said something like, quote, I admitted powerlessness, got a sponsor, worked the steps, relied on God one day at a time. I continue to attend fellowship meetings regularly, and I sponsor others, end quote. This answer is true and accurate, but as I pondered it more, I realized that in my experience, there might be a bit more to it. So I made it a point of prayer and meditation. During this quiet time of prayer and meditation, my mind was drawn back to a scene from the TV miniseries, Band of Brothers, 
This series followed a group of men in Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division from their basic training through the end of the European theater of World War II. It was a gripping story and one with many scenes and lines that are burned into my mind forever. One of the lines that consistently rings in my head is this, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. All war depends upon it. This is quite the fatalistic attitude, but there is truth in it. When bullets are flying, when mortar shells are exploding all around, when the danger of stepping on a landmine exists with every step, when things seem chaotic, a soldier has three choices. One choice is to curl up in the bottom of the foxhole and wait to die. Another is to make a heroic but foolhardy charge up the enemy's hill, not listening to the orders of his superiors and dying on that hill. The third and last choice, the option most likely to end in a positive outcome, is to listen to the commander, man the assigned station, and follow directions to the absolute best of one's ability. Choice number one. In the stress of the situation, a soldier has the choice of curling up in the bottom of the foxhole and waiting to die. This is the least courageous of the three. He can cover his head and scream and cry, all while praying mightily to whatever he believes in to save him. But he is not willing to do anything on his end to be saved. Even if his commander yells at him to retreat or to charge, he lays there and awaits the bayonet or the point-blank execution, or the long, painful, and miserable death of a prison camp. While he may desperately want to stay alive, his actions are not congruent with his desires. The second choice of recklessly charging the hill is one that only looks courageous and brave. If our soldier survives, which is highly unlikely, he would probably receive a battlefield commendation of some sort but he is doing something foolish, relying on his own limited abilities and knowledge of the situation. The commander has not ordered a charge on the hill. He is doing it because he thinks, quote, I got this. The decision to charge the hill is all about him and his quest for glory that he may receive when he conquers his enemy single-handedly. More likely, it is a suicide mission because he has completely given up and given in on this war against the enemy. Either way, the probable end result is that the soldier will get cut down by the enemy before getting even close to the stronghold. The last choice, our soldier mans his station, heeds his commander the best he can, and fights as directed by one with more experience, knowledge, and wisdom. This is the option with the most likely chance of a successful outcome. He may get injured or even die but he chooses to do so, helping his brothers to the best of his ability in a responsible manner. He may not get any glory or commendation, but he will have done his part to push forward to the end goal. This choice is not selfish. It is not based in pride. The choice is based in obedience, discipline, humility, and willingness to try his best to be victorious. In all three situations, the same bullets are flying. The same mortar shells are exploding, the same landmines are potentially underfoot, and the same casualties are happening. But the experience in each of those situations, as well as the outcome, not just of one's own mortality, 
but of the end goal of the unit is different in a vital way. What does this have to do with addiction and the recovery therefrom? In my mind, I see a direct correlation to how I, as an addict, face the battle that is aged. First, I need to share a little background on my situation. I am a sex addict. My addiction is rooted in lust. My dealer doesn't live at the corner liquor store or marijuana store. She doesn't live on the next block over. He doesn't live at the casino. She doesn't live in the seedy motel room downtown. He doesn't live in the refrigerator. He lives in none of those places, and yet at all of them. My dealer lives in the palm of my hand. She lives on my desk at work. She lives on the billboards around town. He offers me my drug of choice at the gym. She lives on the street in exercise clothes, walking, jogging, and biking. She lives at my church. He lives in my mind, and thus he goes wherever I go, to the bathroom, to the shower, even to bed. I am mere seconds away from relapse and death at any time, in any place. And for those countless others of my comrades, male and female, who struggle against this enemy, we know that working with this kind of omnipresent dealer can seem hopeless, completely hopeless. The bullets are flying everywhere. The mortar shells are exploding all around me, all the time. The landmines are placed where I least expect them. It is chaos, and I am a dead man. I will not get out of this life alive. As I see it now, there are three ways I can die in this lifelong battle that I must face. First, I can curl up in isolation and just pretend that I don't have a problem. I can grip my teeth harder, clench my fists harder, pray harder, worship harder, close my eyes harder, repent harder, sing hymns in my head or out loud harder, surrender harder, etc., etc., etc. This seems to be the most common way that my brothers and sisters fight this battle. I am no exception to choosing to fight in this way. For 30 years, I experienced it nearly every day of my life from the age of 10 and nearly 40 years old. I would go to bed pleading with God to make me stop, to take this from me, promising him that I would do anything if he would just relieve me of the chaos and inevitability of death. And yet I never died, but neither did I live. Similar to this scenario, I was curled up in a ball waiting for deliverance from suffering. I would wait either for actual death or for a miraculous light that would come upon me out of the blue, suddenly healing me. And if I would not be healed miraculously, I would take this secret battle to the grave. Looking back, I can see that there were fellows all around me yelling to me to get up and listen, to get up and... Yet I wouldn't accept help. They were there, those fellow conscripts who had successfully fought this battle and survived to fight the next one. I wouldn't listen to them. Neither would I listen to the field general who has all knowledge and wisdom. I thought my little circle of people and ideas, books and self-knowledge were enough. And yet I was still hunkered down, internally screaming for peace and never finding it. This was a miserable way to live and to die. Because die, I most certainly would. Then, there is the second way. In this war against lust, many people who have suffered in the first choice for many years eventually choose this second route. 
That's giving in. It seems to be the equivalence of the adage, if you can't beat them, you may as well join them. This is accepting the fact that I love my addiction more than I love my family, my job, my friends, my God, my religion, or even my own life. I determined that I would rather go down in flames and a hail of gunfire than even try to fight anymore. Some go so far as to do this to prove to the world that this sexaholism and lust stuff isn't really even an addiction. It's natural. It's part of life, and everybody just needs to embrace it. It's, quote, I know I am right. And if my family, friends, church leaders, job, or spouse aren't on board with me, then goodbye to them. Besides, it's easier than owning up to the past, all my wreckage, and admitting that I was wrong. No, I am going to prove them wrong or die trying, and I will have a blast while doing it, no matter who or what I drag along with me. End quote. I choose to throw myself towards the misery, oblivion, and death that awaits me, to be cut down at the hands of the same weaponry that I am boldly defying. Once again, there are fellows in this battle all around me, but because of fear, anger, or even open rebellion, I have stopped hearing the commands of the field general. In fact, if I am in this situation, I may have decided that the field general doesn't even exist, or resign myself to the rationalization that even if he does exist, he has zero interest in my meaningless human life. In this situation, I fall into becoming a selfish nihilist who cares nothing about anyone but myself. In the end, I don't even care about myself because nothing really matters in this world of nothingness except my immediate needs. Life sucks. Then I die. I may as well enjoy it. Now, I have lived in both of these soldiers' boots for periods of time in my life. There are even moments and days in the last five years of sobriety where I have lived in those places. Those were not and will not be good days in the future. I am not under the delusion that the rest of my life will be a cakewalk. I will likely have days where I curl up in the bottom of my foxhole, praying for the trial of the day to pass. I will likely have days where I completely ignore the field general and decide to do things on my own. But I hope that I can quickly come to myself and once again become the third type of soldier in this war. The third way to fight in this battle is to meet my maker, following the commands and invitations of the maker himself, the field general. This is the way I have committed to live my life every day, one day at a time, for the rest of my life until I am safely dead. And yes, even this third way includes death. This battle looks, sounds, and it smells exactly the same as the battle that the other two soldiers experience and die in. The same triggers, temptations, bullets, mortar shells, and landmines are in this battle too. The same band of brothers is around me. Only this time I can see that many of these, my comrades, have learned how to fight and survived to fight another day. They are openly sharing and helping me know how to listen to the voice of the field general, even in the midst of chaos. They are doing their best to follow that voice, imperfectly, but faithfully. They cannot listen for me. They cannot make the choices for me. But they can point me to the field general and share their experience, strength, and hope from their own positions on the battlefront. There will come a day when each of these, my comrades, will die. 
there will come a day when I will die. But if I go down listening to the field general, manning my post, and lifting my fellows who come into the battle after me, I will at last be able to rest in peace. In death, I will leave a legitimate legacy for my family, friends, brothers, and others who learn from and become better soldiers in this, the battle for the soul of the human race. As Jesus once said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This is the essence of peace, joy, and love. No matter what choice I make, the battle rages, the bullets fly, the mortar shells explode and landmines detonate. If I am in the battle of the sex and lust addict, I must make a choice. I can choose to cower and breathe my last breath, holding on to a deadly secret. I can choose to ignore the leadership of the field general and charge headlong onto the fury of oncoming fire. Or I can choose to stand my ground, listening as intently as possible to the field general and my band of brothers. The choice is mine. Even after five years of sobriety and being in a place where I almost always feel the happy, joyous, and free feeling described in recovery literature, I still find myself in one of those situations every day. If I seek out and listen to the field general, I will soon find that I can, quote, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not mine, but God's. Lastly, I have experienced that the field general never abandons a soldier. He calls to me as his soldier to get up, to return, to follow, and to contribute to the war. I know that a soldier who follows the field general's commands and invitations to the best of his ability, one day at a time, is never lost. That was the essay, I Am Already Dead. I hope you gained something from it. Thanks again for tuning in to the RICO 12 speaker meeting for all addicts and those wanting to learn more about addiction and the recovery therefrom. We will be back live on New Year's Day with a very cool guest, Tom B., a member of AA and sober since 1985. His topic will be My Path to Meditation Practice, 20 Years of Struggle. If you have not yet gone to Rico12.com and submitted your email address, please get on the invitation list so you can join us live each Friday at noon central time. Now to close us out, I'm going to give the serenity prayer, moving into the step three prayer, and then finally moving into the step seven prayer to send us off into our day today. But before I do that, I wish to express my gratitude to my God and Savior, my higher power, Jesus Christ, who has paved the way, paves the way, and will pave the way for me and all who choose to follow when he says, come, follow me, one day at a time. Now into the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. God, I offer myself to Thee, to build with me and to do with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of Thy power 
thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Keep coming back, everybody. It works when I work it. So work it. You are worth it. Searching